Unlock the past and safeguard your memories with ScanMyPhotos.com. Here's our special promo code, GoDigital, to get a whopping up to 50% off your photo scanning order. Don't let your cherished moments fade away. Digitize them now with precision and care. Whether it's old slides, photos, or films, bring them into the digital age and relive those precious memories. This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. Welcome to Ask Maureen, where we cover historical image analysis, genealogy, and how to work with your family photo collection. I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, and I'll try to answer your questions. It's time for the photo detective. I'm Maureen Taylor. I am known as the photo detective. If you're watching, this is on Facebook Live. I use the Be Live platform, which means if you have a question and you post it beneath the Facebook video, I can see it and answer it. And so can my guest, Brenda of the Gravestone Girls. Now, you can watch this replay on Facebook. And if you're a newsletter subscriber, you can also I hear about when it's available as a podcast, but you can follow my podcast on iTunes, also called The Photo Detective. So my guest today is Brenda of the Gravestone Girls. And Brenda, we go way back. I can't even remember the first time I met you or heard about the Gravestone Girls, but our paths have crossed a bazillion times since then. Oh, indeed. It was at a genealogy conference. I think it was my first NERC conference. First, First, which was when? Oh, Manchester, maybe a million years ago. Yeah, New England Regional Conference is what we're talking about, the gravestone. She's a local person. Uh, You're in Massachusetts. I am. I'm in Worcester, Central Mass. Worcester. And I'm in Rhode Island, so we're not that far apart. So our paths do cross a little more often. Uh, Tell us about the Gravestone Girls. Sure. Um, Gravestone Girls is a hobby that became a full-time vocation. Um, We are cemetery educators and artists. Uh, We lead cemetery tours. I teach gravestone rubbing classes. I lecture about the evolution of gravestone history and symbolism and cemeteries. And we create sculpted art pieces from the faces of original New England tombstones. And what a great guest to have for October, Family History Month, but also Halloween. And Archaeology Month in Massachusetts. Uh, now, I didn't know that, Archaeology Month. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, gravestones. You know a lot about gravestones. Uh, before you became, I mean, how long have you been, you said you started as a hobbyist and then you went uh, professional because obviously the interest in gravestones and gravestone rubbings and gravestone art, it, it's a it's a big deal. So exactly how long before that NERC conference in Manchester were you guys involved in this? And there are three gravestone girls, right? Or there's four? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the boss lady. I am the one that talks to everybody, and and I'm the I'm the front of the business, and I have two other lovelies that that make everything work behind me. Uh, particularly my webmistress Melissa. Uh, if you if anybody follows us on Facebook or Instagram, you knew her as Webmistress Zephora. 
She uses her fabulous technology skills to keep us looking good on the internet. Um, we, I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in Central Mass. I spent a lot of time as a little kid in the family cemetery. So it was, uh, it was never a scary place. It was always an interesting, peaceful place. Uh, my mother taught me to rub gravestones as a little kid as a method of keeping me occupied while she and my grandmother took care of the family plot. And um, also it was a place where she taught me to, urged me to practice my reading and my math by using the faces of the stones. She was uh, an antique dealer and my father did her restoration work. So I grew up in a house that was very interested in history and art and living in Massachusetts and living in New England in general. Uh, these spaces, these old colonial burial grounds are in almost every town. So they're very easily accessible, particularly for a little kid on a bicycle that can go, can go off and, and explore. Well, that sounds like a little unusual childhood, Brenda. <laughs> well, and it was safer to ride your bicycle places. Who goes looking for you in the cemetery? You're not going to get run over by the cars. Right. Sit by the water and watch the birds. Right. And no one goes looking, at least at that time. No one went looking. So when I posted that I was going to have the grave, Brenda of the Gravestone Girls on, on my Facebook page, there was a lot of yaying. People were posting little memes, little, yeah. little you know, GIFs, GIFs. And uh, so you have fans all over the country. We do. Because we you do. travel quite a bit. We do, exactly. Um, somewhere between the cyber world with what Melissa has done for us for the website and Facebook and Instagram, um, plus just being on the ground everywhere. I mean, I started, I started uh, doing Great Stone Girls as a, as a hobby business on the side about 20 years ago. And it was just local. And then it was just Massachusetts. And then we started traveling to some of the other New England states to do programs and lectures and, and art shows. And then uh, it's just every year it grows more and takes us to other places. We sell and show in places like uh, New York, um, Philadelphia, uh, just came back from a fabulous art show in Michigan that I do every year. Um, and we're being asked more and more as people learn about who we are and what we do. We're being brought to other other states around the country. And when people come and shop with us, uh, particularly this month, I'm on the street in Essex Street in Salem every weekend on Saturday and Sunday, which draws people from all over the world, literally. Um, they're buying our stuff and they're taking it home. I just sold a, a piece on Sunday to a, a couple that was visiting here from uh, the bottom of Brazil, down in Nova Hamburgo. So wow. we, are, we are omnipresent is what I like to say. Omnipresent. So when I posted that, that you were gonna be on, there were questions about and reactions to, well, we, we learn about as genealogists that we really shouldn't do the gravestone rubbings, that it could harm the stone. Cleaning a stone can harm a stone. Um, but then you do casts. So there were questions about, well, how can you do the casts safely yep. and not injure the stone? So I know you have answers for me because we, we talked a little bit about this. I, pick yep. one of those topics and address it. Okay. Well, um, any of that stuff, whether it's cleaning, rubbing, or taking it one step beyond to what I do in casting, it, it's all good if you do it properly. 
And you have to have a basic understanding before you head out. If you're going to clean a stone uh, or, or rub a stone, you have to know what you're dealing with. So I've got five basic rules. I, when I teach gravestone rubbing classes, as an example, um, I've got five basic rules that I teach. One, get permission. Two, know what you're doing before you go out. So know how to choose a good candidate. And this goes for washing stones as well. Um, you need just a basic idea of geology to know which types of stone are workable and what to do with them. Um, so get permission, know how to pick the right stone, uh, put a barrier between the stone and your working surface if you're making a gravestone rubbing. When the method that we teach for gravestone rubbing, you don't even put one piece of tape on the gravestone. It, it is all on that protective barrier. Um, and we want you to use the right materials as well. And again, that goes for cleaning. And at the end, the fifth rule is clean up after yourself. No one should ever know that you've been there. It is a definite do no harm. Um, people think that this stuff is really complicated when it comes to cleaning or, or, um, or doing rubbings. And it's not. It's actually pretty basic. They also have an idea that, well, it's made out of stone, so it's indestructible and nothing could be farther from the truth. So that takes care of, of cleaning and, and making rubbings. Um, to do casting, so I started by doing rubbings a long time ago because everybody used to do it and it, right. it was never an issue. Um, and because people have gone out and done things that have caused damage has caused people to pass on a lot of bad information as well as just turn around and prohibit completely. So in Massachusetts, it is not illegal to rub a gravestone. It is up to whoever oversees the burial ground to determine what they will and will not allow. So that's the part about going out and seeking permission as to what the rules are. There is no statewide law on the books for prohibition. Um, so I made castings for myself a long time ago because I had all these rubbings and I had a desire for three dimensions instead of two. So I, I had a couple gravestone friends that I wanted to take home and I knew it was frowned upon to remove them from the cemetery. So um, I have an art history and restoration background. Mm -hmm. So I took what I knew from the trade to source the right materials and develop a proper safe procedure to go in and collect my images because I do actually work directly off the faces of the original stones. Mm -hmm. And I know that that causes people some, some heart palpitations. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, I, I can prove again and again that I'm safe. Uh, and, you know, sometimes getting permission is as easy as a phone call. And sometimes it's taken me up to a year. And that's fine. Whatever it is that makes those overseers comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing, that my processes are safe. That's great. And you have resources on your website, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, Which is GravestoneGirls. GravestoneGirls.com. There's a section on the website called Learn. And there's a lot of information there, and we do add to it all the time. So there is a glossary of terms. There's uh, links to national, uh, the National Park Service, the NCPTT, National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, about proper cleaning methods, about documentation. 
there's information about the Association for Gravestone Studies, plenty of links for a lot of information. Uh, we strongly believe and purport to, to do this stuff right and do it safely. It's done properly, a, a proper cleaning or a proper gravestone rubbing is a completely inert process. Wow. Mm -hmm. Those stones have been out there 24-7 for hundreds of years. <laughs> so, you know, it, you do it right, it's it's not an issue. It, when One of the examples I use when I tell people, when you go into the, those old colonial burial grounds and you look at those slate stones, if you see those white striations at the bottom of the stone, well, guess what? That's weed whackers. And the lawnmowers are throwing stones at them. So one summer of lawnmowers and weed whackers are far worse in terms of causing damage than a properly executed gravestone rubbing. And to be clear, I do not teach my casting process. I have been asked. I don't do it um, because I, I say you know, ancient Chinese secret. Um, I'm a professional. Don't try this at home because really anything you lay on the face of a stone leaves something behind even if you can't see it and you need to know that and you need to know how to compensate for it yeah well we have a oh, question i have an answer <laughs> we have robin, have robin goodman. goodman and i have, I have an echo. can you hear that echo no i think you're okay okay uh robin goodman asked how can i find what a symbol or three letters mean ihs on my catholic ancestor's stone i know i know so um, IHS is a Latin phrase. Um, let's see if I can get my get my Latin correct. Um, it is I is uh, actually a J in in the old language. So it's uh, Jesus, the Savior of Man, is how it translates. It's um, I can't remember the phrase. So it doesn't have any specific um, relevance to the that person. Yep. Yeah, you'll see that very commonly on Catholic gravestones. It's a it's a Catholic symbol. Great. Um, I have a little book, uh, symbols on stone. I think it's called about fraternal symbols. Yep. That you yeah. can find on gravestones. Uh, Doug Keister's book. Yes. It's great. It's a great book, and it's beautifully done too. Yes. It's got a lot of information, a lot of beautiful photographs. It's beautiful. Now you have some castings with you. You said. Oh yeah, sure. Same. I same. love your castings. I actually don't own one yet, but next time I see you, we can fix that. Yeah. And we make more all the time, so um, I'll just throw out a couple of them. Let's see if we can get them in there. Yeah, you got to pull it up at the camera. Put it up there in front of your face. There you go. So this is my friend Isaac Fuller. He is from uh, Gravestone, dated 1691. He's the oldest piece in my collection. Uh, he's a wing skull. So I get asked a lot. What is up with wing skulls on gravestones? Um, first commonly used symbol on old colonial New England gravestones. It's a soul symbol. It's the idea of the soul flying off to the next world. And it's also, uh, this is a picture language that spoke to the population about mortality and morality. Uh, I call this a scared straight program, actually. So it spoke to the people about their behavior and it served as a, a quick visual check on your behavior. So if you could read or write, you might not stop and read the messages written on the stones about being a good and virtuous person. But that visual cue, that that wing skull, that threat about your mortality and your morality being connected to it was a, a very easy cue to get you to just check your behavior. And it also reached the people that couldn't read and write. 
Mm. The people of the time, they live in a very uh, difficult world. They spend all their time just trying to survive. And they've got, uh, they're very religious, they're very superstitious, and they're really following the Bible to the letter. So this is a time period where the slightest transgression may be the difference between going to heaven or going downstairs. Now, what else you got over there? You have my, mm -hmm. the one I really like, the one I want, the little angel. Oh, look at that one. That is the moon and the stars. Yeah, it's the, the waning crescent moon and the seven stars of the Pleiades. Um, I've got a couple of ideas about what this means. Uh, my original reading sort of points me to Old Testament that it's the, the seven original churches of Jerusalem. Uh, it might also be stars being the idea of the guides in the, in the night sky and you get you through the darkness, so very symbolic. Um, and I've also recently, just for the first time, found another stone with that image on it. So it's where does that one come from? So this one is in Bolton, uh, my ancestral burial ground. Uh, it is- Bolton, Massachusetts. Bolton, Massachusetts, yeah, Central Mass. Um, it's on a stone for a young child who oh. died at about the age of four. Um, and I'll just throw this in there too. It's also, the last name is Nurse, N-U-R-S, uh, no E on the end, but there's differences. Um, and I think, and I haven't tied it together yet, so that I haven't had the chance to do the research, but we have a lot of nurses in Central Mass, and they come from the, the Salem Danvers nurse family. The Salem so witches. It might be something there. But it, at first, I just thought this was a biblical or a, 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 a guiding light symbol. But I just recently saw the moon and the crescent moon and seven stars on another stone in Watertown, and that's a Masonic stone. So mm -hmm. I've got to go back and do some more looking. And it occurs to me, well, is this a little, this, my piece is a little girl. And it is, uh, so it's certainly not going to be Masonic. And it's because one, she's not old enough, and two, she's a girl. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe this stone that my image comes from that's located in Bolton, maybe um, we had a leftover. You know, you didn't expect the child to die, and and you go to the local stone cutter, and they go, "Hey, I have this. This is already done, and you know, we'll just fill it in for you," which is common. You know, mm -hmm. every time somebody went to get a gravestone, the cutter didn't start from scratch. So I've got a couple. I've got some work to do on it, but I do really like the celestials, uh, as do my customers. So when I find them, I do try to add them to. Well, it's interesting because we have a bakery here in Providence called Seven Stars. Oh, sure. And their I symbol think. is like that. Ah. So yeah. now I wonder what it really is the connection. Well, uh, what else you got over there? Ooh, I got, oh, want to see my handsome boyfriend? This is my first gravestone boyfriend. <laughs> Isn't he sweet? Oh, is that just hair? Yes. Oh my goodness. So it's a like a Puritan. It's a minister. The minister. And he's got his he's got his English wig on. Yep. He's got his ecclesiastical collar and robes and in his teeny weeny little hands. Now, does that relate to somebody like a, is it a personalized stone? It is. Um very often the ministers would get the members of the clergy would get some sort of uh, symbol like this 
it was to show that they, that again, it's that visual cue that they're the minister, the, the pastor, the reverend. Um, this is Jonathan Pierpont. Uh, he's in Wakefield, died June 2nd, 1709. There's actually two of these handsome devils on his stone. Um, I'll digress for just a second. On the Great Stone Girls website, when you look at our castings, yes. there's a link also to the stones themselves. Because we mm. try to keep we try to keep the original source material with it. And there's actually two of them on that stone. Um, ministers very often got that kind of visual addition to their gravestones because they were a member of the clergy. And if there was somebody that was going to show you how to get to the next world and be that conduit between here and there, it was the minister. It was the head mm. of the church. He was to set the example and be the guide for the rest of the mortality, you know, rest of the mortals in his, in his block, in his church. So do you accept casting requests? I do. Um, it's actually the genealogists that found me and said, you know, they would see things, they'd see me at the art shows. I do a lot of arts and craft shows, I always have. And uh, they'd say, that's really great. Can you make a piece for me from my ancestral stone? And periodically, I also have, uh, I'll have a piece in my collection at a show that I've got an ancestor on the table and a descendant on the other side of the table. Ooh, that's pretty cool. I have uh, my favorite story to tell, and she knows I tell this all the time. Um, a woman came in at, at one of the actual art shows that I was doing, and she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my genealogy, and I'm going off to uh, people in Ipswich. And I'm going up there to work in the cemetery and look for them. And I said, oh, I have some castings from Ipswich. What's the surname? And she said, Appleton. I said, oh, I got an Appleton. <laughs> and that Appleton turned out to be that woman's ninth great grandmother. And you made a sale. Yeah. yeah. And I got a good story out of it, too. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And it happens periodically. Um, that doesn't happen that often, but maybe more often than one would think. And at no time does anybody say, you've disrespected my ancestry, you shouldn't be doing this. Or it's, it's always a very positive response. Thank you for protecting this. Thank you for preserving this. Thank you for giving me something that I can add to the rest of my, my family's mementos, my family's history. And you can, you can put one of your pieces on the mantle. Absolutely. So they, my bigger pieces all have hooks so that they can hang on the wall, like so. They all come with their history tag too. So who they are, where they're from, plus some information about the symbol and you, its information. Are you feeling the love? Because Linda Minter says that you're very helpful. Oh, good. Thank you, Linda. I enjoy my job. No one's ever going to say I don't like my job. Right. Well, that we have that in common, our passion for what we do. And Deborah, who's a frequent watcher, says, what's the most intricate stone that you've made a casting of? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say I did a project for a gentleman in Ohio that uh, he sent us out to Concord to do the family coat of arms on the ancestral gravestone. So it was a sixth or seventh great grandfather, I believe, who was a colonel in the Revolutionary War. And it had all this great imagery on it, including a very large round um, coat of arms. It was about 19 inches. In wow. diameter. It was a big piece and it was very heavily and intricately carved with, with uh, 
with the dragons or the winged horses and the, um, and the helmets and, and all of the heraldry that goes along with the family crest. Well, you're feeling the love even more. Yay. You got a little heart symbol from Elaine. Oh, I have a question for you because I know that there are gravestones occasionally, uh, and I'm wondering if you have ever run run into any, which is a gravestone with a photograph on it. Oh yes, yes. My my um, my holy grail would be to find one of the 19th century stones that still has the has the daguerreotype or the tintype in it. I know. I a number of them um, that you can clearly see that it's got the space for the photograph. And sometimes I even find little bits of glass still embedded in the spot, but never a photo. Um, the day I do find one, everyone will know it because I will well, be from the rooftops. You'll be letting me know. Absolutely. You'll be the first, actually. Right. Well, because a lot of them get pr pried out. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you, I imagine they get taken down for safekeeping. I imagine they just get taken for souvenirs, as wrong as that may be. But right. um, one of the things I really like on the modern gravestones, particularly within the last 30, 20 to 30 years, people are putting not just the photo ceramics on the stones, but they're also taking advantage of the etching technology, yeah. whether it be done with tools or with lasers, to put everything everything i get to see people's houses i get to see their motorcycles their vacation spots their pets um they're just their intricate little likes and hobbies or things that made them an individual uh, and they're they're people on these modern stones those are people that i exist at the same time with but don't get a chance to physically meet Mm. But by looking at the at the images that are on their gravestones, whether they've chosen them or their family has chosen it for them, it's a really a way of meeting somebody in, in the modern time, getting an insight to the individual personality. I've seen some of those. They're they're quite lovely. Yeah, yeah. they're fabulous. I have seen so many great things. I just did a program with Avalpro yesterday for a group, and I used a number of their local stones. When I do a program. Um, I go into the town ahead of time and mm. I visit all the cemeteries and I take pictures and I use that local content to build my program around. That's um, nice. Yeah, it's my evolutionary tour from about 400 years of history, from the colonials through the rural garden movement and into the modern. And one of the one of the fun parts, one of the most fun parts, um, is to see what's on those modern stones. And one of them that I used yesterday in the program um, was a picture of a, a beautiful colonial house with a great big lawn. It was on the water. The sun was setting on the water. There's two kids playing on the lawn. There's two dogs on the lawn with the children. And there was a five-car garage. And there are five cars in the five-car garage. They're all pulled in. And you can see the back ends of the car and they're of those five cars and they're very easily identifiable as the daily driver and the Sunday car and the speed car and the antique car. Yeah, it's fabulous. I am people people have gone so far as to put their street address on, you know, here's a picture of my house and here's the address. Wow. I know that's kinda of creepy. I guess I could go go visit if I wanted to. Yeah. So we have an interesting question uh, from Deborah. 
Have you come across QR codes on modern stones? I love this question. So good one. Yeah, so a QR code is is a barcode. Right. It's like a UPC, um, but it's the little square with a funny pattern on it. Um, QR stands for quick response. It is it is um, the, for those of us too lazy to type, you know, www.gravestonegirls into their phone to access the website. Um, you can just scan that code and it takes you directly to that product's website or that, that person's website. There is a company out there called um, Memory Medallion. They're based mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. And they you can buy this little one-inch diameter uh, piece of metal that's got a QR code etched into it. And you can attach that to the gravestone. And you... You go and you build your website behind it. With the purchase of the, of the medallion itself, it gives you access to their service to, to have 999 spaces, which is, includes pictures and video. Um, so you can say whatever you want about yourself. You can publish your writings. You can show your pictures. Um, genealogists can use it to post their research, you know, to make it accessible. Um, my favorite is uh, the woman that is their it's memory medallion spokesmodel. She's got a, she was known for her famous, famous secret family fudge recipe. And apparently she held that title in life and wanted to hang on to it in death. So there is a 16 minute video on her memory medallion of her bossing her adult son around the kitchen, showing us how to make the family fudge recipe. So I guess not so secret anymore, That's but right. also, you know, it's such a great insight. Um, Memory Medallion, one, I talked to the gentleman that founded the company a while ago, and at the time he said he was signing up two to 300 funeral homes, monument dealers, and others quarterly. So it was the idea that this is technology we know and we understand. We use our smartphone for everything, and you use an app on the smartphone to scan that QR code that you find on the gravestone. So. I have yet to see it in the New England area. And I had earlier this year a great opportunity to give a presentation to the Massachusetts Cemetery Association. Mm -hmm. So I have 100 cemeterians in the room. So you don't get a better polling pool than that. And I asked them when I got to that part of my program, both for video and QR, I said, okay, you guys are the ones out there all day, every day. You know your field the best. Who has these in their cemeteries? Not one hand went up. And I really do think it just in New England, we are far, we're just still as puritanical as we were 400 years ago. Maybe so. And, and we just think that's way too far to go. But if you get outside of New England, you're going to find this technology in a bunch of places. Um, certainly down south, Midwest, and absolutely on the West Coast as you, as you move farther west. All right, we have a couple of comments. Oh, I know this guy. He's a rabble rouser. I know. Dave Robeson. This is a endorsement of you, Brenda. Brenda is totally dedicated. I took her on a tour of cemeteries in Chicopee, Mass, to prepare for a presentation. And she was willing to climb a fence to get into a locked cemetery until I told her I could get the key. Thanks for spilling the beans on that one, Dave. They'll be watching me from here on out. 
Exactly. Well, and we have a comment I don't from, uh, John Crow, who said, I couldn't believe how many pictures on headstones were damaged in our local cemetery. I spoke with someone about it, and he told me it was the lawnmower throwing rocks that was busting up the images. That's something that you said just earlier in this presentation. Right. right. Groundskeeping is is pretty detrimental to, to both all kinds of stones, both old and new, and certainly things like those photoceramics. They're not indestructible. So you throw something at them, and they're particularly the photoceramics because they are actually ceramic. You mm. throw something at them, and they're absolutely going to. They're absolutely absolutely going to break. They're very very vulnerable to vandalism as well. Now, well, we're going to wrap up in a little bit, but I think we should share a couple of examples from your post mortem photography collection. <laughs> oh, my one of my favorite things. I'm sitting in my dining room and I've got all my goodies around my embalming table, my body remover. Uh, I got people bringing me toe tags from the local funeral parlor. Um, yeah, they love me. So, okay, we'll keep taking those things and building my, my own morbid anatomy museum. Um, I, I wanted to, I've, I've got you a number one in particular you want to show. Yeah, I've got a number of them, but I wanted to put my little girl out there. Can we see her? Yeah, just hold her still. There so it's is. a little girl in a white dress uh, with little bows at her shoulders, and she is tied into the chair and obviously deceased. Very deceased. And the thing that, I, the reason I purchased this one is because it's, she's tied and you can really tell that she is because her feet aren't even really touching the ground. Right. So tell me Maureen, when was this, about what period is this? Uh, scroll it up a little bit. Let me see the bottom. Nope. I want to see the bottom of the card. You want to see the photographer? Yeah, I think 1890s is what I'm thinking about, just with a quick look, because no. she has that wicker chair in, right. in there, the white card stock, that style of dress. Or it could be early 1900s even, but I think it's maybe long, late 1890s. Long Branch, New Jersey. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had to have her. And I just, you know, with live, with live photography of the time, they had to stay very still and, and all of that. Well, this little thing is deceased so we've got all the time in the world to pose her properly um yeah sad he's kind of like a rush job and they they took the photo and went, yeah yeah that looks good move on to the next one yeah, yeah it's kind of sad because you know it's their little girl yeah i yeah. have one um it's framed i couldn't take it down but i have one of my um my great grandmother's sister that died when she was two so in digging through the family goods i was able to also piece together get a i have a picture of her in uh her her uh, baptismal dress mm -hmm. when she was baptized when she was itty bitty and then she's in the same she's in the same style of dress uh laid out on the on the fainting couch and i have her um I have her casket plate as well. So we keep all, that's Florence. We keep all of Florence's things together. Every so often a client of mine has a, a post-mortem picture that's actually a post-mortem picture. Not somebody they think is dead, but somebody who's actually dead. And yeah. the creepiest, uh, the saddest one, I shouldn't say creepiest, but it was very um, heart-wrenching to look at, were three tiny babies, triplets, 
Um, two of them were deceased and one of them looked very much alive. Oh my. One was larger yeah. than the others. Yeah, I suppose you, uh, it was common to, to bring the living and the dead together in those pictures. I've seen uh, in, in Robert Burns' books, he's got, in his collection, he's got some that oh. little kids sitting on the dead father's lap and the kids looking a little yeah. freaked out. And dad Dr. Burns, bad. Stanley Burns. Stanley Burns, right. Dr. Bob Stanley Burns, Burns, he collects Bob. such things. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, a, you know, in all the years I've been digging through everybody's antiques and attics and basements and I've gotten, I've gotten some good stuff, but I never find any of this kind of stuff, that, not even one of the kind of things that he has. No, I know. I don't know where he has uh, check this out. He actually has a website. I'll put the link in the okay. Facebook live comments in just a little bit, but there is a website so you can actually look at memorial photographs that are owned by Dr. Stanley Burns. He collects yeah. other sort of things as well, but we won't go there. Um, yes, he does. Like he, cause he's a doctor, he collects right. medical That's anomalies and I can't imagine where he finds these things. Cause in all the years of, of my collecting and right. looking and looking at clients photos, no one ever has anything close to what he's got in his collection. Yeah. I think he manages to get his hands on some good archive stuff. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, this is Brenda of the gravestone girls. If you have any questions, we're about ready to wrap up and this will be available as a podcast, hopefully next week. So you can listen to it again in your car. But Brenda is a so informative about gravestones and gravestone art and gravestone rubbing and castings. And there is one thing in your catalog that I keep picking up and looking at. So uh, when you have the show, so eventually it probably will end up on my mantle. And maybe I'll e even find a gravestone of an ancestor that I can ask you to cast. With pleasure, anytime. We're yeah. all new things too, so we kind of make it hard for folks because we just keep adding new good stuff. So go to gravestonegirls.com, look at her Learn Center, shop around a little bit, and watch for Brenda. Now, Brenda, I just wanted to ask you one more question before we go, which is one time you were going to a cemetery in Philadelphia or was it New York? And you were doing an event in the cemetery? Yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. Yes, that was um, that was Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia. Yes. Uh, they are a magnificent 19th century rural garden cemetery. And um, I think, so that same thing with the QR, how we don't see it in New England, we also don't use our rural garden cemeteries the way they do soon as you get out of New England. So Laurel Hill is not really an anomaly in the way they use their landscape. Um, many, many do. They have things like the art show that I participated in. They have book club. They have yoga. They have dinner in the mausolea. There, there's dog washing. There's dog walking. I mean, I can think of any number of cemeteries, 19th century cemeteries. I've been into that are very, very active. They have 5K runs. They're wow. very active in using their space for exactly what it was intended for. And it's also very, very creative to put money in the coffers for them. Because otherwise, if you're only selling lots, it's a finite revenue stream. And you're always going to have to mow the lawn at the very least. So right. you, that, that particular market that we did, they had 2,000 people through the gate 
between the hours of 12 and 5 on a Saturday, on a marginal weather Saturday in September. Um, it didn't keep the people away. And at $5 a head, wham, you've got $10,000 in the bank for the cemetery to do restoration, to do education, to to just keep the to keep money for them, keep revenue coming in, as well as to keep interest with the people. The more the people are engaged in the spaces, the more that cemetery is protected. Okay. Well, I think that's a good call to action for everyone. That's my job. <laughs> anyway, Brenda, thank you so much. And thank you all of you for watching and listening. And if you have any more questions, remember, just post them on the Facebook post. And Brenda, you can share this post on your Gravestone Girls uh, Facebook page as well. And we have one more, one more comment. It's always one at the end. June, she says, we do cemetery walks in October with historical figures. Fabulous, June. Where do you do that? Yeah. June, where do you do that? You should tell everybody where you do that. Get as many and many feet into your cemeteries as possible. It raises money, it raises awareness, and it keeps them safe. Yeah, and we get another little heart for you. Thanks, Cody. It's fun being a gravestone crow. Yes. <laughs> all right, Brenda, till I see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you all. Excellent. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Maureen, for having us. Thank you for watching and listening. You can submit your questions for future episodes using the Ask Maureen button on MaureenTaylor.com or through any of my social media contacts. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as The Photo Detective and on Facebook at Maureen Photo Detective. I hope you'll come back for the next show. Don't forget to send me your questions. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one -on -one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, these images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.